and welcome to another episode of the Total Football Analysis Bundesliga podcast. Um, we're doing something a little bit different to what we would normally do, just purely because it was the first week back in the league, and we're going to go into tactical analysis of all the games that were on uh, over the weekend and Monday. And to do so, I've got three gentlemen with me. I've got uh, Cameron Megan. Hello, Cam. All right. Yeah, I'm all right. How are you? Did you enjoy the games this weekend? I did enjoy them. Oh, <laughs> Particularly okay. Frankfurt against Gladbach. Oh, okay. Yeah, Cameron. <laughs> yeah, of course, you're a uh, Gladbach fan. Um, and we've got a Schalke fan on today as well, Nicholas. Nicholas Hemmer, who is also an analyst for Football Analysis. Hello, Nicholas. I'm guessing you didn't enjoy the weekend too much. Of course, I did a lot. <laughs> Especially the Schalke bit. Uh, and then lastly, we've got Carl Elsick joining us all the way from Phoenix, Arizona. Carl, how are you doing? Doing well. How are you? I'm doing well. And thanks for joining us. We're recording this in the sort of uh, European afternoon. So for Carl, it's, it's breakfast time, right? Yeah, I had a 5.30 wake up call this morning. So happy to be so here. Just, and that was purely just to prepare for this podcast, wasn't it? <laughs> oh, yeah, absolutely. Excellent. Um, <laughs> okay, so we'll go through some of the... Uh, the well, I guess the the better games, as it were, from the weekend to begin with. Um, I think the one to start with would be the game that kicked it all off with Dortmund Schalke. Um, and Cam, obviously, you wrote a tactical analysis for the website on this game. Mm-hmm. Would you like to give a bit of an introduction on on this? But I'm sure some of the other guys will definitely want to have a, a say as well. Go on, Cam. Yeah. So the game almost kind of went how we expected, certainly in, in my tactical preview as well, in terms of Dortmund went with the 3-4-3, three, three, while Schalke in that 5-4-1, which is basically a matchup of the formations. Um, but the way in which Schalke pressed didn't, didn't work against Dortmund's structure, and so Dortmund just repeatedly broke the press in the first half, um, got two goals in the first half, and then got the third just after halftime. I think it was the 47th minute, and... The game is over by that point. Do you think that uh, Schalke's decision to press in such a way was naive, particularly, uh, first of all, against a good ball-playing team, but secondly, first game back after a break away? I mean, they looked, this, the second half looked like a friendly almost at times. It was, uh, they looked exhausted. I don't know what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, well, um, David Wagner said after the game that he thought Schalke weren't brave enough. And I thought the opposite, really. I thought they were too brave. Um, mm. I said about the 5-4-1, um, about them sitting a little bit deeper, but they did in the first half press quite high, sometimes up to Berkey in net. Um, and that didn't allow them to cover those half spaces, which basically decided the game. Yes, yeah, so the way in which Schalke pressed, it was in a in a 5-4-1, like I've mentioned. Um, the right winger in the four jumped to press the wide centre-back. And therefore, you'd be left with a centre-back, um, one of Schalke's centre-backs covering the half space, which was usually either um, Torgan Hazard or Julian Brandt occupying that area, sometimes both, which was a massive part of the game as well. So you'd have the wide centre-back being pressed by the winger, central striker pressing um, central defender naturally, and then the right wing-back against the left wing-back of Dortmund. So again, it was it was all about that half space. and. The way Dortmund kind of manipulated that area was through um, almost a midfield box concept again. So it was 
the two central midfielders of, of Dortmund, um, Delaney and Dahoud, sat quite deep and quite centrally. And that kind of caused a, caused a dilemma for Schalke's central midfielders. So they looked as though they wanted to be man-orientated, but the, the further back Dortmund dropped and Schalke just did, they couldn't go with them because they left too much space either in the half space or just behind them for, for Haaland as well. Um, so you, they could pretty much just isolate one of Schalke's centre-backs in the half space and then Dortmund found it way too easy to combine around that area and as I mentioned used overloads of rotations and things like that to exploit the space. But were you surprised? I mean, I was personally surprised quite a lot by some of the um, selections for the starting eleven by Lucien Favre, and uh, most notably, I was very surprised by Delaney and Dahoud as as that uh, central midfield uh, double pivot. Um, what were your thoughts on that, Cam? Yeah, um, I'm not sure how much of it was. Um, through choice or whether it was injury based as well. I know Axel Witzel was, um, I think he had a knock or something. But mm-hmm. Dahoud particularly was excellent, I thought. Um, particularly again at, at losing his, his man marker, which was Weston McKenney. A couple of times he'd, he'd play the ball into the half space and immediately spin and go back into the space behind yeah. McKenney. Um, so Dahoud, I thought, particularly was excellent. Delaney was, was his usual self as well, I, I think. <laughs> The most memorable thing in that game from Delaney was him smashing Suet Serdar in a header. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Nicholas, how did you see the game? I think what was really striking once again, apart from the defensive issues of Schalke, which has been also a problem throughout the whole season, is their inability to play out from the back. Um, I mean, they had an idea, you can't deny that, with their 4-1-5 formation to progress the ball through the left side with Ochipka, Serda and Harid, which are the two um, best footballers. But it was just very foreseeable and therefore easy to defend. And Cam mentioned the defensive issues, that they were very man-oriented and never really got access, especially if Brand or Hazard um, shifted over to the other side and created overloads. They were very easy to exploit. And Carl, how did you see the game? Uh, I mean, I agree with most of what's been said. I think one of the things is, as an American, I was watching Weston McKinney and I really couldn't figure out, and I think I would love to hear from the guys too, like he did not have a great game, I would say, but I can't figure out if it's a, if it's that's individual performance or, or a result of the system. Cause he kind of just seemed like he was outnumbered and kind of overwhelmed at mid in midfield at times. And I think that, I mean, that's, yeah, he had some misplaced passes and some pretty less than stellar turnovers, but also I don't necessarily know that he was set up for success either. Yeah, I I think Dortmund killed Chalker's central midfielders, basically. I thought McKenney was way better than Suet Serdar, who's usually an excellent presser of the ball, and we go on, go on about him all the time in the podcast, but I, I thought he was um, near enough awful in the game. A couple of times I mentioned that, that dilemma or that decision-making problem that Dortmund created with the positional play. Um, McKenney, most of the time, I say he, he got some of his decisions correct. He, he went when he should have done and he kind of did the best with what he could when he was overloaded, like you said. But Serdar sometimes, particularly for the first goal, um, he kind of just stands there and waits for him, waits to go and press his um, opposite central midfielder. And he, he just stands there and leaves a massive gap for the ball to go through into the half space and Dortmund score from it. 
So I'd, I'd agree with Kenny. I don't think it was an individual problem for him. I think it was he did an okay job in a in a horrible situation for him. Yeah. Um, I mean, do, do we think that that's just a, a one-off for Schalke, Nicholas? Or do you think that there are some alarming things that was seen on Saturday that need to be quickly rectified? I definitely think that it's kind of alarming because... They did not win since eight matches now. In fact, they only won against Gladbach in the second half of the season. And they are regularly humiliated by the top teams. So if you look at the match against Leipzig, where they lost 5-0, um, same result against Bayern. And also against weaker teams, then there's the problem of creating chances and playing out from the back. Um, I think they can be very happy that they had such a good first half of the season. Um, because otherwise they would be in serious problem. Okay, let's uh, let's move on because we've got a lot of games to cover, um, and let's look at Leipzig Freiburg because I feel that Leipzig's result may well have pushed this uh, this league into a two horse race. I don't know um, what you guys feel about that. Uh, if you haven't, if, if you guys listen to this podcast and haven't checked out. Um, Abel Majaros, who's a, an analyst that we've had on the podcast before, he wrote a really good post on his Bundesliga bulletin, um, which is definitely worth checking out. Uh, exactly on 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 this uh, this league title race. Um, Carl, tell us a little bit about the game. Yeah, so uh, I think Freiburg definitely came out knowing that they were going to cede most of their possession and and. Um, really try to stay as compact as possible. And I think one of the main reasons to do that is because Leipzig is so dangerous in transition, both in their counterattack and they also <clears throat> use their counterpress as well. Um, but they kind of tried to take away that counterattacking a little bit. Um, I think they were actually really successful in taking away um, Leipzig's opportunities to counterpress because a lot of the times when they would win the ball in their own area or in their own uh, defensive third, they were really, really clicked, quick to clear it, um, basically not giving Leipzig the opportunity to, to really press them um, and just forcing them to play through, which, I mean, at one point they had six on the back line, four on their second line. They didn't even have an attacker uh, lined up at all. Um, but I think, I mean, I, I really, I think, I do agree that I think Leipzig's results kind of, knock their title chances uh, down quite a bit. But I think some of the stuff they did was super interesting. Um, I mean, some of the classic Leipzig stuff, which is like those vertical passes, usually on an angle to a quick layoff, um, get the ball forward as quickly as possible. Um, but also they started pressing, uh, or they started pushing, not pressing, sorry, in their buildup, they started pushing Klosterman up to like kind of, um, almost create men behind uh, Freiburg's three attackers who were pressing, and so Klosterman was there. there he was the center center back in the back three, and he was up with uh, their holding midfielder. Um, with Galassi had the the ball at his feet, and so I thought that was really interesting. That was really um, kind of brave, almost because you're just getting rid of that central defender. And if you misplace a pass at all, like you're you're basically giving up a goal. But that allowed them to build numbers behind that first 
line of pressure and really kind of play through Freiburg when they were when they were pressing. And then when when Freiburg got their goal off the corner, um, it was that much more difficult for them to to break down because Freiburg knew they didn't really need another one. They they wanted uh, Leipzig to try to play through them or play over them, which eventually they got their goal from from a cross kind of from the half space to uh, Paulson on the, on the back post. But um, I think Freiburg did really well. They came in there with a game plan and they executed it properly. It's not the most attractive thing, but it's effective yeah, for sure. I mean, it certainly was effective. I think they definitely rode their luck uh, throughout the game. I think there were several chances that you would have expected Leipzig to have put away. Um, and, you know, and Freiburg, Freiburg scored uh, really sort of against against the uh, the grain and um i believe that was their only shot on target as well um so <laughs> yeah absolutely they they really did execute it to a t uh nicholas or cam do any of you guys want to jump in on anything that you saw from this game i don't have so much to add i think it was a typical freiburg mm-hmm. match against top teams um where they just sit deep with a back five relying a lot on set pieces um in fact they only had 0.04 expected goals from open play and especially in the second half they did almost nothing um, but defend and if you look at the season as a whole Freiburg overperformed their expected goal difference by a significant margin and are actually the third worst in the league according to that but in reality they are seventh and compete for the Europa League which is quite impressive but does not really mirror their Yeah, and I think that, that Europa League, uh, the, six, the battle for sixth place actually could be very interesting. I made the uh, foolish prediction to Cam. I think I made it off air, so that's all right. <laughs> um, saying that I thought Hoffenheim were going to nick it, um, but perhaps uh, <laughs> the weekend's result might suggest otherwise. We can go on to that in a bit. Um, Let's move on to uh, the game that I know Nicholas covered for the Total Football Analysis website and one that I know Cam uh, would have been watching is the uh, Frankfurt versus Mönchengladbach game. I think it's fair to say a little bit of a worrying um, showing from Frankfurt, similarly, I guess, to how Schalke fans would be feeling. Um, Nicholas, how did you see this game? I think Gladbach were very impressive, not only because of the two goals that they scored early on, but because they showed a lot of flexibility in the build-up with a lot of triangles and diagonal passing lanes, something they regularly showed before the break, but I still found it impressive that they um, continued to to do so. Um, And that made it difficult for Frankfurt to really get access to them and Frankfurt themselves were not really able to progress the ball, which was on the one hand due to good pressing from Gladbach, but also Frankfurt's lack of creativity, how to get into dangerous areas. Um, so they mostly operated with many vertical long balls to Bastos, but that was never really a problem for Gladbach's defense and never really worked out as Adi Hütter have, um, had wished. And it was a bit better in the second half when he brought on Andre Silva and switched to a back three. But this also came with even more gaps in defense. And that's because they pressed higher and in a more man-oriented way, which resulted in several counterattacks for Gladbach, which they did not really make use of in the beginning. But as time went on, they got the penalty and eventually could have even scored more goals than that. Mm, Cam, how did you see the game? Yes, similar thing to Nicholas, really. Um... Gladbach's build-up structures in the game were quite interesting. Um, it was 
it was difficult at times to tell what what formation they were playing because occasionally you'd have um, Tobias Strobel who was who was a surprise to be playing for me actually, um, but he'd sometimes drop in as a singular pivot, sometimes he'd drop in as part of a double pivot, other times he'd even just drop into the drop into form a back three as well, um, which against Frank's, Frankfurt's um, not very effective press um, further helped it really. Um, Again, sometimes you use you use a diamond as well, which, um, as Nicholas mentioned, it gives you those those passing options in multiple directions. But but it was also a kind of strange game in that once Gladbach got the two goals, it was like um, the game had just been turned on its head pretty much, and the whole the whole initial tactics of Frankfurt probably went out the window. So they had to rethink it. Yeah, I mean, do you think that the game was was <laughs> Do you think it was a fair reflection of Frankfurt? I mean, it felt like the game was over after after seven minutes. Frankfurt started so slow, and they didn't really seem to pick themselves back up uh, after after Mitchin Gladbach's uh, fast start. Um, Nicholas, what would you think? What would you expect to see from Frankfurt going forward? Uh, is there any any differences that that you think you saw in this game that they could rectify quickly or effectively? Mm-hmm. I think it's to some degree a similar case as with Schalke because they also had a lot of problems before the break where they also lost the last three mm-hmm. matches. And you could see most of the problems once again, um, the lack of creativity in offense and their reliance on Philip Kostic to create something. Um, but he was not really in that game and was not really or could not really take influence. Um, so I think they were also not really able to get into dangerous position to cross the ball, which is basically their main um, main way to get into dangerous areas. So I think that was better in the second half when they also brought on Timothy Chandler, who had some good actions through the right flank. Um, and I think they, they can build upon that. I also thought that the back three worked, worked better than the back four. So I think there were some signs how to how to improve um and now it's about them to to really implement that through a whole match Carl, any anything i should come to you i haven't asked you about this game anything that you, that you noticed in this game that you wanted to to mention Did, frankfurt just looked i mean it's not <laughs> they looked almost like they they weren't prepared to play like that first goal they, their back line was not they were not uh, mm-hmm. on the same line. Like that's why the I forgot who received the ball, but it was like this lofted pass, that almost like a clearance, and it they was allowed to to play through. And then the <clears throat> second goal was just some the defender was reaching across his body with his right foot to shot stop a shot on his left side. It's just it it looked like they weren't prepared to play. And two minute or two goals down, they were it was basically over. As Cam said, the game was flipped on its head. Um, I think the only thing that I want to talk about is, uh, and I know it's, I'm sure it's been discussed already, but I think Jan Sommer is such a help for for Gladbach, and I know that's one of the big parts. If you're going to play out of the back, you need a keeper who can do that. But like his confidence and his ability, there were some passes where I, I was as he was playing them, I was like, oh, that's gonna, nope, okay, it made it. Um, Multiple times, like he's just almost taunting defenders with his with his his passing ability. Yeah, um, no, and I I, I totally uh, jump on particularly the first point you made there, Carl, of, of the defense looking uh, looking out of sorts. I mean, I think particularly that second goal, 
Thuram was able to, to find space between two defenders inside the six-yard box, which I mean really is is pretty appalling, particularly so early in the game. Um, I know Cam is a big Jan Sommer fan. Cam, was that something that you agreed with as well with someone Sommer's passing? Yeah, I remember. I can't. I think it was in the first half when um, I think they played it back to him, and it was it's probably about two inches away from um, a Frankfurt player's foot, and everybody in the stadium went ooh, <laughs> just as he didn't win the press. <laughs> Um, so yeah some of his long range passing as well is excellent and and it certainly helps with that um, with relieving the press similar to how um, Carl mentioned with Leipzig using Galaxy um, as as basically a member of the back three sometimes okay let's uh, let's move on we, I mean I'm conscious of time and we've got a fair amount of games to to get through still so focusing still on the, the top end of the table, um, it'd be good to have a quick discussion on the uh, Union Berlin uh, Bayern Munich game. I mean, I think this, this went the way we were expecting it to go by and had 65% possession. Um, no surprises there at all. But I thought Union actually did a pretty good job in Bayern as a whole in this game. I mean... Bayern weren't able to score from open play. It was a penalty and a, and a corner. Um, I also thought it was a very Union-style set piece, which they scored uh, the second goal with. So I think I'll jump on that straight away whilst I remember that. And I'll go to Cam, who's our set piece expert. Um, it felt like it felt like a very Union-style. I mean, the, the corner went into the six-yard line where they, they, they flooded the players, crashed that area with, uh, with players... And, um, yeah, it seemed like it was a specific spot they were looking to target because i I seen a recall there were sort of two or three players, although obviously it was Pavard that got his head to it. Um, yeah, let's jump on that set-piece cam. What did you see from from that? Yeah, I think I put a tweet out about it as well. Um, I, I'm not sure it was... It certainly wasn't anything routine from Bayern. They maybe looked to exploit that space simply because there was a few of their best headers of the ball there. But I don't think it was anything routine. Mm-hmm. It was more just... Um, Union defend in a two-man zone structure with one player just on the edge of the six-yard box and one covering that central area. Um, that central zone play is really important because if the ball goes within two or three yards of him, then he's pretty much got to win it. Um, or you're then relying on the man markers to um, win an aerial battle, which is sometimes really difficult. And that's that's pretty much what happened. Um Union Berlin central zonal player. I can't quite remember who it was, but they just kind of lost concentration and they moved. They took about two steps forward as the ball was coming in because they seemed to anticipate it coming a bit shorter than it did and the ball just went over them. And then from there, it was Pavard against um, one of his man markers and it it was a fairly easy header into the net, really. Um, So I'd, I'd say it was less about Bayern's offensive movement, more about... Union Berlin's poor concentration or anticipation from that area. Mm, and, that, and that wasn't really a theme uh, throughout the game. And it, it felt like quite an isolated incident because I thought mm. Union did very well defensively through the game. I thought the midfield worked incredibly hard to ensure that there weren't large gaps between himself and the defence in open play. Um, I mean, a lot of Bayern's shots were blocked inside the box. It, it was a common theme to see sort of three or four Indian players go to to block a shot. I think uh, Bayern only managed to get three shots on target from their 13 tempted and only 
two of those shots were attempted from outside the box. Um, Carl or Nicholas, either of you guys uh, watched this game and, and what were your thoughts on this? Uh, I think one of the things that stood out to me was uh, just that, I mean, and this isn't surprising, Bayern's just sustained attacks and their, their amount of time on the ball. I was looking at uh, some of their data and they actually had 40 like short attacks um, compared to 54, a combination of like medium, long, and then extra long time on the ball. So that's like 10, 20 to 30, 45 plus seconds. Um, so they had, that's just so much time for, for Union to have to focus and have to stay sharp. And so I think, I mean, I think they played really well considering uh, who they were up against and, and just the two differences in the club in the clubs. But I think uh, overall Byron's quality just kind of came through and, and really, despite their best, best efforts, Union weren't able to make anything happen. Yeah. I basically agree with everything that was just said. I also think that Union did a very good job, but still Bayern looked very dominant and were actually never really in danger to concede a goal or um, even mm. lose that match. Um, I think I think worth worth noting as well, Bayern looked incredibly strong and they've got Frankfurt next, so I don't see them slipping up at all uh, <laughs> there. However, they do have to play Dortmund, Leverkusen and Mönchengladbach still uh, on the run into the end of the season. So there is still a chance for them to to slip up. But I would say this, if if, if they're clear going into the last three games, I, I would as good as give them the title because I know in their last three games, they've got Werder Bremen, Freiburg and Wolfsburg. And I don't see them slipping up against either of those, sorry, any of those teams. Um, okay, let's go to the, the last game, sort of at the top end of the table. And it was the game that was last night uh, by Leverkusen um, away to Werder Bremen. And I, I didn't really have a, a dog in this fight as such, but I, I found myself fist pumping when, uh, when Bremen uh, pulled themselves level. I think I, I want Kofel to do well. Um, but my goodness, it was, it was a sad display. Uh, it, it really was. Um, yeah, it's, if anyone didn't see the game, Leverkusen went ahead and, and Bremen quickly pulled it back uh, level. And then after that, it was all Leverkusen. And um, yeah, there were some, some running themes. I put a tweet out saying, good to see that some things don't change. That was uh, Bremen's 15th goal conceded from a set piece this year, which is something that Cam pointed out <laughs> to me uh, earlier in the week. They'd already conceded 14. Uh, yeah, they conceded their 14th headed goal as well in that game. Three of the goals there were from headers. Let's just start with the Bremen defending. It was... It was beyond sloppy. I think Cam will probably want to talk about the set piece in a second, but um, I'd be interested to hear the, Nicholas and Carl's opinion on their defending. I, th- I thought it was a, a sad display from Kevin Vogt as well, uh, in particular. I mean, if we even let's just look at the third goal, for example, where uh, Musa Diaby just floated this this cross in the air. Vogt's <laughs> body positioning was totally closed away from uh, the other side of the pitch, and it was just a. Yeah, it was just a very simple goal. And it, it felt like there were all these little sloppy moments that just undid a lot of a lot of effort. I'm not saying quality from Bremen, but a lot of effort, I thought. But it, it, there was a lack of quality, in my opinion. What did you guys think? Yeah, I really hope to see a reaction from Bremen, um, as, as you did. But it was just another oath of disclosure where they showed all their problems once again. 
um, and especially those individual errors in defense. Um, you mentioned the second goal, but also the first goal where DRB easily dribbled past and crossed the ball, where Harvard was completely free in the middle. Um, and I think all those things add up. And even if they were quite decent in the beginning defensively, so it was not like Leverkusen had thousands of chances. They were dominant, but um, Bremen was okay defensively. But those individual errors, especially after Bremen equalized, and then getting the a second goal just a few minutes um, afterwards is just, yeah, it was just too much for them. And of course, the yeah, harmlessness and offense. Yeah, absolutely. I think as well, we, we didn't even mention the fourth goal. I think the, the commentators at the time praised the uh, through pass from Belarabi. But in, in truth, it was against some sloppy defending of half of Bremen's defense deciding to step up two yards and the other half staying where they were. And there was, there was space in behind it. It was, it was just a shambles. Carl, uh, let's actually tell you what, Cam, let's talk about the set piece. And I'm going to get Carl to discuss Leverkusen because mm -hmm. I, I mean, they were very good as well. Cam, that set piece was horrendous. I mean, uh, Avers was able to just find space between two markers. I don't know what happened there. Can you explain what you saw? Yeah, so free kicks are all about um, spacing. So most teams defend zonally from free kicks, so they don't man-mark a player and stick with them no matter where they run. They line up in a, in a straight zone line and kind of just drop um, in, in one coordinated movement and try and fill... Um, gaps between each player in the chain. With Bremen's goal that they conceded yesterday, there was a big, massive gap for Havertz to run into. Um, you see, before the before the kick's actually taken, um, one of the players looks at the space and then just doesn't do anything about it. Um, Havertz just waits <laughs> in a slightly deeper position so he doesn't occupy it completely and then just runs in a straight line through that massive gap in the chain and scores. Yeah, well... Yeah, they, they, there you have it. And I think there are some, some issues there that I do not see Bremen fixing before the end of the season. Um, I, th I do personally think, I think they'll go down and I, I think there's a good chance they'll come back a, a bit stronger. I think they need a clean out, um, if I'm being completely frank. Uh, Carl, let's talk about Leverkusen them because they did, they did actually play very well. We shouldn't be taking anything away from them. Um, what did you see from them, Carl? Yeah, I think uh, Leverkusen did really well to... Uh, create rotations to they, there were a lot of uh, they they really were able to get a lot of vertical passes and break lines pretty consistently which I think kind of speaks more to again not to take anything away from Leverkusen but it speaks more to Bremen just like really overall not being very compact um, either vertically or horizontally it was they're just too spread out um, but when you combine those rotations and those vertical balls, it's it's a recipe for disaster if you're if you're Bremen. Um, I think uh, I mean I think Diaby did really well on those on this first assist. He he just blew past the Bremen defender and got the ball in. And then obviously that third one you covered earlier, that little scoop he had, and he just kind of left it up in the air for his teammate to go and get. But I think it's that it's their success was definitely that combination of uh, definitely their ability, their ability to move off the ball and to to uh, become, I guess, to dismark. I guess would be the way to say it. Um, but then also combined with Bremen's lack of compactness. Well, let's talk about uh, Columbus and Mines. It's a game that 
I watched and I actually wrote about on the website. Um, I thought there was a very apt tweet from uh, Jonathan Harding who wrote Mensch and he said something along the lines of very on brand for the Bundesliga for this to be the best game of the weekend, um, <laughs> which which I thought was, was excellent and, and very true because, yeah, there's, it's, it's happened so many times where you are not expect. I, I was I was almost uh, starting to watch the game with my eyes, you know, clenched shut because I, I wasn't really sure what I was going to get myself in for of watching this game. But actually, it was a terrific game, um, and interestingly, two sort of opposing styles of play, which wasn't necessarily what I was expecting going into the game. Uh, let's talk about minds to begin with. They looked to build up from the back and uh, compress very aggressively to stop that from happening. And I think Mines sort of uh, fell into the trap of just accepting that they were going to play in the wider areas or in the half spaces and they weren't really able to penetrate central areas, particularly in the first half. Um, so Boetius had a huge chance right at the beginning, which I I thought had gone in and, and, and uh, <laughs> it hadn't. But yeah, Mines in the first half... Um, they looked to have the Aaron Martin in particular was inverting quite a lot to leave space a little bit higher up for the central midfielders to, to operate in. Um, and they, they were sort of working the ball into these wide areas. It was quite neat build-up play, but it didn't really, really go anywhere. Uh, again, it, they would leave that half space clear and then look to have players move into it late, but there wasn't a huge amount going on. Pierre Kunde kept dropping into the, the back line and leaving these forward passing uh, lanes open, but Cologne was so um, compact during the game that they weren't really able to to do anything in in that regard. And uh, even though uh, Cologne went in one nil up, it wasn't it wasn't the, the the best first half by any means. It was the second half where we really saw um, a lot more. I don't know if the, if you guys watched this game. Did you guys watch this game? I watched a bit of it. Um, I think Mark Utz had a really good game, right? Mm, oh, yeah. Um, he had seven shot-creating actions, five of five dribbles completed, and was basically involved in all dangerous actions of Cologne. But I also think that in the end, it was a fair result, um, especially if you just look at the chances they created. Mines were actually very dangerous or more dangerous than Cologne. So I'm not saying that they played better, but mm. I think they deserve to get something out of this. Yeah, yeah, t- totally right with that. And I think uh, Oot really suited playing in this sort of shadow striker role where they uh, he was playing just uh, behind uh, John Cordoba um, and he was constantly able to find space there. They were pretty direct in getting that ball into uh, Cordoba regularly and Oot was always there just to feed off, feed off of him, give him support just south of him. Um, no, to- totally right on Oot. And yeah, I think I think uh, what was interesting was that mines were incredibly narrow uh, defensively throughout the game. And Cohen had all this space in the wings and they didn't really use it until the second half. And Marcus Gisdor made a change to bring on uh, Dominic Drexler for Jan Tillman. And that made a big difference. Drexler uh, got the assist for the second goal. And we saw a lot of these crosses actually aimed for the, the back post to the area where the other winger would be arriving late and Cordova was almost uh, a decoy at times. I think 
both the wingers had so much space that they were able to steal a march on their fullbacks when these crosses were coming in. And um, yeah, I think Colm had a couple of chances where they could have put this game to bed, particularly at 2-0 up. And they allowed Mines to come back into it and they took their foot off the gas. And the irony is that Colm spent so much of the game protecting these centuaries, but both uh, Mines' goals came from centuaries in the end. The the first one was a Sebastian Bornau header, which he didn't clear properly, went straight into the, the center of the pitch. And um, Mines quickly played that behind defensive lines. Um, from, that was their first goal. Who scored their first goal? Oh, it was Tyrell Awaniyi, wasn't it? Guy on from Liverpool. Yeah. Awaniyi, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And Awaniyi just uh, cut behind the back line as they set that ball behind. And then their second goal came from Pierre Kunde just dancing through the center of the pitch almost unopposed it's a bizarre goal um and i know gizda would have been fuming uh that they conceded from two chances which he definitely he definitely will be looking back at and thinking we, we could have we could have prevented both of those chances from even getting to uh the goal scorer um but again mines had the, a chance to win it right at the end was it uh, who had the chance right at the end? Was it Robin Quaison? I can't remember. Um, they had another chance to win it right at the end, as did Cohn. So it was a it was a crazy end to a, a very frantic second half. Um, yeah, I think uh, what was interesting as well, Florian Müller, who's playing goal for Mines, completed a hundred percent of his passes, including six long passes. He only had six long passes, but still, a hundred percent pass completion for Florian Müller, which. Uh, is not bad going either. Um, and if you guys want to jump on that, anything that you, anything else that you saw from that game before we move on? Okay, I know Cam won't. No, okay, let's go to uh, <laughs> let's go to Paderborn Düsseldorf. Um, <laughs> now it's the nil nil. Hardly the most glamorous of fixtures. Um, I don't know if any of you guys <laughs> saw this game, but actually I did, and uh, it was it was <laughs> it was it looked like a first game back. Is how I would say it. There wasn't a lot of counter attacking. Uh, there wasn't a great deal of counter pressing either. Um, Paderborn looked to to build up and to to play through Düsseldorf. Uh, they stretched the pitch incredibly wide with their wide players hugging both touchlines when they were playing, uh, looking to open up forward passing lanes, but really they were just playing a lot of um, uh, switches. Um, yeah, and they had the same amount of like, same periods of possession, if that makes sense. They had the same volume of possession, but Paderborn had far more overall possession, so that shows a much more patient approach to, to build up from them. Um, we saw Jasuda playing as a pivot in the first half. And he was always an option for the Padawan defenders when they were in possession, switching from side to side, looking for that uh, through pass operating in between the lines. And he, he was actually quite handy, but he, he came up at half-time uh, for Vesidiadis. Um And then, yeah, other than that, I mean, Padawan were playing some long passes, certainly, into Dennis Sabeni, but he just kept getting isolated when they did that. And I didn't think that was their best approach. I, I also did not watch the game, but I read Philly. Felix is um, on the side and saw, saw him also talking about Gersula 
and looked a bit at him and saw that he already has 13 yellow cards after 23 games and it's not the best way to break the record of 16 yellow cards in one season. Oh, wow. Which is right. No. Yeah, okay. He might he might well be the most booked player in the uh, in the top five European leagues. That's something that we might have to check out. Um, Probably that's part of the reason why he got subbed off. Yeah, during that yeah he, looked like he, was, he looked like he was going to get sent off. Um, he's an, he's an interesting player though. I actually quite like him. If he can sort out that, that, that discipline side, he's. Uh, I just wanted to say that I think that he's on an expiring contract, but I'm not 100 percent sure. Uh, really? Okay, that's interesting. Yeah, he's he's athletic. Uh, he's got <laughs> he's got some game smarts to him. Certainly, um, he's he's scored a couple of goals this season as well. I've got a feeling. Um, he, yeah, he's got two. There you go. He, he came to he came to my attention just because he had that frightening face mask on, and um, and I started realizing that he is the sort of player that would have a face mask. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, I don't mind. It. I thought he had a good first half, and, and you're absolutely right. Um, and then Dusseldorf played in a three four three. Oh, we have just checked. He has the most bookings in the top five European <laughs> leagues. He's got thirty. Um, <laughs> Yeah, Benacero's got 12. Um, Soldado's got 11. That's interesting. Didn't see that one coming. There you go. Um, okay, so Paderborn will win something this year. Um, so, this would, yeah, this would have played in a 3-4-3, and they were far more direct in how they played, and I think probably a little bit more potent. But, again, Paderborn stayed very compact defensively, and, and they struggled to get, you know, the likes of Eric Tommy and Valon Berisha on the ball regularly. And um, yeah, this one was a stalemate. I won't spend too much talking about it because it, it wasn't the best of games. And I think I think we can all agree Padovan are going to go down. And I think uh, Uwe Rosler has done unspectacularly so far. Dusseldorf might stay up, but I don't know. Uh, I think that for expected goals and expected points, they're right down the bottom of, of the league as well. But below, I know they're below... Um, Paderborn, I think, for expected points. I could be wrong. Um, yeah. Okay, let's move on to Augsburg v. Wolfsburg. And that was a 2-1 win for Wolfsburg. Good start for them. And again, they are in that hunt for that sixth place. Um, Nicholas, what were your thoughts on this game? Um, I think Augsburg was not as good as I expected them to be, especially because they have a new head coach, Heiko Herrlich. Um, who was not on the bench, but still they offered almost nothing in attack and were only dangerous after set pieces of Philip Marx. And I also found it interesting that they only had um, one cross, according to Weisgard, and I could not really believe that, but I checked it on FBRF and they also only have three crosses. So um, that might be true to some degree um, compared to an average of more than 12 crosses. Um, so maybe that's a result of their new coach, but I'm not quite sure about that. And I think that Wolfsburg coped um, quite well with the absence of Wout Weghorst. Um, so they deployed some kind of a mix of a 4-4-2, 4-2-3-1. And I also think that Mbabu was very good, who had some problems throughout the season and was not even a regular starter. But against Augsburg, he showed how good he can be and also assisted the second goal. And also Pongracic got his second or his third start for Wolfsburg mm -hmm. and had pretty good statistics. So he won 75% of his, of his defensive duels 
83% of his aerial duels and 9 of 11 accurate passes to the final third and also the most touches of all players on the pitch. So I think he starts to show how good he can be and that he can be an essential part of Wolfsburg in the future. Yeah, and I think I think Cam and I are both big fans of Pongracic and uh, I think we've spoken about it before that he's going to be a key part in letting Glasner go back to regularly playing uh, his 3-4-3 again. I think he's going to be a, a key cog in that system. Um, obviously, we're pressed for time right now, so I just want to quickly go for the last game, Hertha versus Hoffenheim, which we did not see going <laughs> this way. Um, already looks like signs of Labadia starting to put his philosophy into place, which is incredible considering the limited amount of time they've had with uh, these players. Or perhaps these players were just desperate to stop playing the way that Jürgen Klinsmann wanted them to. There is that as well. Um, <laughs> the Hertha had a lot more position than they would normally do. I mean, it was only 49% possession, but when we go back to thinking about some of the games they had under Klinsmann where they were having far less possession than that, um, that's a sign of improvement. They were looking to build up from the back to play through the thirds. And they looked pretty dangerous. I think all three of their goals came from wide areas. Um, yeah, and they, they looked they already looked a much better team. Um, I don't know what you guys saw of this game. Um, oh, I should tell a lie. Do you know mm-hmm. I made a mistake here? I said that Hertha haven't had too much huge amounts of possession, but we spoke about this before, Cam. They when they played against you know teams of a similar level to them, teams have just surrendered possession to them and Hertha don't know what to do with it. So actually ignore that point. Um but yes, anyway, they they certainly weren't going with their backs against the wall, parking the bus uh, tactics, which they used uh, early under Klinsmann, particularly when we go back to sort of the beginning of January. Um, yet they still did manage to commit lots of players behind the ball. I don't know if any of you guys want to jump in on this one um, before we sign off. Um, what I found interesting is that he lined up all the older guys like Ibišević, Pekarik, Skjelbred, all of whom have not been regular starters mm-hmm. under their previous coaches. And also that he adjusted his formation and did not deploy his preferred 4-3-3, but a 4-2-3-1, um, which shows that he can adapt to get the best out of his team. And also what you mentioned in terms of playing style, um, they had some good pressing moments, even though they did not consistently press high, but they only allowed 8.2 passes per defensive action compared to an average of 13. So they definitely had a higher intensity. And also... What you mentioned regarding the goals that they came from wide areas. Um, they had 20 crosses, which is also way more than they usually have. And that was also very obvious with Lavadia at Wolfsburg that he paid a lot of attention to that. And that's probably also the reason why he lined up Ibisovic because yeah, he's very yeah, good absolutely. And, and I think as well, he, he favored, uh, well, he, he favors a, a sort of more traditional target man. So he could be, um, an important player in the run of the season. I thought Mateus Cunha was uh, very good as well. And I think he's going to have a key role to play for them going into the, the final stretch. Um, but I think you're totally right. I think it's baby steps to an extent. And um, yeah, elements of pressing, elements of the passing game were there. Um, but it was, it was interesting to see them. They were clinical in this game and they were defensively very good. I don't know when the last time they kept a clean sheet was. But I've got a feeling it was their nil-nil draw against Schalke back in January, I think that was. Um, but they were also very, very lucky because Hoffenheim had really good mm-hmm. chances, especially Baumgartner. 
Um, yeah, it's, it's worth pointing out that work Hoffenheim still had a 2.25 expected goals for this game compared to 1.61 for Hertha. So yeah. as good as a result as this is, yeah, absolutely. It's baby steps and um, we'll see. It'll be an interesting, be an interesting team to keep an eye on for the rest of the season. Um, okay, let's do something that we, we always do at the end of this podcast when there are games, and that is Player of the Week. Cam, Player of the Week. I'll go with Julian Brandt. Simply because um, the, oh, the way in which he... <laughs> he didn't even tell me we were doing one, so... Well, of course we do a player of the week. This is, this is your <laughs> podcast. This is your podcast, Cam. You should know. I've only got half an hour notice, so... Oh, <laughs> I, know, I've, I've, I've just improvised. Um, yeah, Julian Brandt. Yeah, I forgot to tell... I, I, I organised with our guests the time and got to tell Cam. <laughs> Sorry about that, Cam. Go on, carry on. Yeah, um, the way Julian Brandt was able to kind of... He was, he was given more of a freer role this week as one of the inside forwards in that 3-4-3 three, three for Dortmund and he was able to um, rotate constantly and find find different ways to dismark that centre-back who was behind him. So a few times he'd, he'd drop deep and immediately spin and, and sprint into the space behind him. Um, I'm not sure he gave the ball away much in the whole game. Um, and yeah, his general movement and his his first touch and everything that goes with it was was excellent. So so yeah, I think that's an obvious one. Excellent. Okay, Carl, who was your player of the week? Uh, I got to go with Kai Havertz. I think. Oh man, I mean, you just took I just took you took my backup. <laughs> <laughs> Mine was Go Julian Brandt as well. Um, uh, so you know go. this happens. I think, I mean, he definitely <laughs> took advantage of the space that uh, Bremen gave him. Um, he was excellent with his head. A little, uh, that uh, goal that Bremen scored, he definitely just missed the header on the near post. But besides that, I think he operated really well in the space that he was given. He was able to provide for his teammates, but then also get in those goal scoring areas. So that for me is why he would be my player of the week. Yeah. Okay. Uh, let's go to Nicholas, who is your player of the week. The first player that came up to my mind was Jonas Hofmann from Gladbach. Um, I think he, he had a very good game because he was basically all over the pitch and he also should have scored a goal um, when he was one-on-one against Hinteregger. So, yeah, I think it was just an overall good performance of him and that's why he's my pay of the week. There you go. Uh, I think for, for me, I'm going to go with uh, Marcus Schubert. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll go with Mark. Uh, I thought it was excellent. We spoke about him already, but he was uh, very good at, just behind the striker. And he's really started to come into himself since uh, his move to Cologne. And um, yeah, he, he's a player that I was a fan of, but I just I thought he'd gone off the boil a little bit. So it's interesting to, to see him come back into a uh, good run of a good run of form this calendar year and um yeah that's why he, he's my player of the week we've already spoken about what he did he's actually game. a Schalke player i mean listen i'm sure Schalke would take him back bearing in mind uh how uncreative uh you are as a team right okay uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, big thank you to our guest carl elsick and nicholas hammer obviously you can check out all of the tactical analysis which are on the website um so if um <laughs> if, if you didn't think our waffling today was um was particularly enough for you then by all means go onto the website and you'll be able to find 
uh, all of the title analysis of the games this weekend. I think the only two that weren't on the Total Football Analysis site but are on our Bundesliga analysis site are Oldsburg, Wolfsburg and Hertha v. Hoffenheim. So check all those out. Um, this week, what games are on this week, chaps? We've got the Berlin Derby on Friday. We have got the Berlin Derby. That'd be an interesting game. Uh, I believe, are we covering that one on Hot Mic as well, Cam? Yeah. Excellent. So if, you, if you're listening to this and you've had enough of the likes of Martin Keown bemoaning Kostic for not playing centrally enough, um, then you should listen to the uh, Total Football Analysis Hot Mic. You can download the app and use the code TFA2020 and you'll be able to hear our very own Lee Scott um, along with Harry Simiu. Simiu? No, I gave it a go. I'm sorry, Harry. I'm actually not sure how to... (laughs) I think it's Simiu. Um, Yes. Uh, (laughs) And so that you can... can Sync that uh, with your screen and, and watch the game with uh, some more analytic, analytical-based commentary. Um, okay, thank you very much for joining. Oh, I'll tell you what, we've got, yeah, we've got Mönchengladbach-Leverkusen this weekend. That's, that's the big game. So that will be a good one to watch. Um, should be interesting to see some different uh, pressing structures going on in that game. I think that might be the focus of that game. Who's covering that? Cam, did you get that game? Oh, was it Elstick? Carl, you got it, didn't you? <laughs> you did not we'll be covering that one um, I got that thank one. you very much for listening and we'll see you again well again I guess whenever our next podcast is I don't know if we'll do one before the weekend I don't know we'll wait and see cheers well again I guess whenever our next podcast is I don't know if we'll do one before the weekend.